Aloha kako, and welcome to another episode of Native Stories with me, Nanea Lo. And this episode is a part of our treaty series. Today, we will cover the Osage Treaty of 1865 with Jimmy Lee Beeson, the area known today as Lawrence, Kansas. And this is the part two of the two part series for the Osage Treaties. So, who signed it? The people who signed the 1865 Osage Treaty were the Commissioner of Indian Affairs, the Superintendent of Indian Affairs, Osage Witnesses, and leaders of the Great and Little Osages. Among these leaders were Claremont and Pahuska, whom the current seat of the Osage tribal government is named after. And can you tell us what happened during that time frame? Well, after this treaty was signed, the Osage moved from the reservation in Kansas Territory to um, so-called Indian Territory, a.k.a. the present-day colonial state of Oklahoma. Where was it signed? The 1865 treaty was signed at the Canville Trading Post in Osage Territory, which was soon to be a part of the colonial state of Kansas. And when was it signed? It was signed on September 29, 1865, and ratified on June 26, 1866. Can you share on why was it signed? I mean, you kind of touched upon it in the first episode um, from the previous treaty, which is probably along the same lines. But yeah, Mm -hmm. can you share more? Yeah, the 1865 treaty was signed, of course, as all treaties were with the many different uh, Native communities across the land as a way for the government to acquire the last of our territory. In this case, what would soon become known as the colonial state of Kansas um, under the guise of legitimacy. And then from the government's point of view, they wanted to acquire these lands to open up them open open them up to uh, um, white American squatters, essentially. Um, so the Osage signed it because they were in a difficult position as more and more white Americans began illegally entering their territory and building up settlements. Not really in a position to really force them all out. They were essentially under extreme duress and kind of coerced into signing it and agreeing to its terms. Has it been upheld today? To an extent, it has been upheld and that the treaty, along with all the other treaties, have given us a legal mechanism to hold the government somewhat accountable for assuming a degree of responsibility over our affairs. Today, we are considered, quote unquote, federally recognized, which means we are owed certain monetary benefits in the form of education, health care, recognition of hunting and fishing rights that are all based and rooted within these treaties. What were the circumstances around signing it? I mean, you mentioned it a little bit earlier, but can you go into depth on that? So the the 1865 treaty stipulated the Osage sell over 800,000 acres of reservation land for $300,000 and another 3.2 million acre tract of land in which the proceeds would be, quote unquote, held in trust. The land 
was to be surveyed and sold at $1.25 per acre. After these tracts of land were sold off, the Osage still had about 4.8 million acres of land under their um, under quasi-control. The treaty stipulated white American squatters could not enter these lands as many of them were beginning to invade native lands and make claims after the passing of the 1862 Homestead Act, which was created by President Lincoln. This act allowed any head of their household, usually white and male over the age of 18, to make a claim to 160 acres of land pending. They also live there for five years and pay an $18 filing fee. Not only were colonial settlers acquiring stolen native land, but so were rail railroad corporations. It was these two entities, the railroad corporations and settler colonizers, who posed a threat to Osage autonomy over their last bit of land in Kansas. Basically, ignoring the stipulations of the 1865 treaty, white Americans routinely entered into the Osage reservation and squatted their lands, building cabins and planting crops. Even at the time, newspapers were referring to white Americans as squatters on Osage land. Um, basically, ignoring the stipulations of the 1865 treaty. Um, so when our people were away on buffalo hunts, they would return to find their lodges torn down and cabins built on top of them. Uh, the Osages responded by engaging in uh, small acts of resistance by also tearing down settler cabins, setting their crops on fire, tearing down fences. Sometimes they would also steal their cattle and force some of them to pay a tax for living there. Um, even though the U.S. Army was called in to uh, supposedly protect the Osages, they really took no action. Um, and there was, as a result of this tension, Congress ended up passing a bill to remove the Osages from Kansas to Oklahoma, a.k.a. Indian Territory, and buying up the remainder of their lands at $1.25 per acre based on the 1865 treaty. And then finally in 1870, they uh, moved to Oklahoma. So they, they walked there um, from Kansas to that area in Oklahoma. And that was the last time that we had moved. That's interesting. Um, I feel our other people that I've spoke to, a lot of them, a lot of different tribes got pushed into Oklahoma, it seems like, throughout history. Yeah, um, really most of the um, tribes east of the Mississippi River, um, and that was all planned out. Um, the Indian Removal Act was one of those pieces of legislation that uh, forced tribes in the southeast, such as the Cherokee, the Creek, Choctaw, Seminole, um, and then other tribes uh, further up north, the Shawnee, Delaware, Kickapoo, um, they were all pretty much forced to move across the Mississippi. And that was part of Thomas Jefferson's policies in the early 1800s. And then later on, Andrew Jackson continued those policies by forcing tribes to continue to move uh, west. But Oklahoma originally, it, was, it wasn't just Oklahoma originally in the territory. It was also part of Arkansas, Kansas, and Missouri. Um, but after those 
lands claimed statehood and became states, the even Indian territory became whittled down to Oklahoma. And then that it was whittled down even more um, through different legislative acts and uh, settlers moving in and taking I know. It's so interesting, like the, the landscape of on how mapping really shapes place and identity for folks. I mean, like, you know, for me as a native Hawaiian, not really knowing how Turtle Island is shaped because I, you know, I grew up on my islands or my land mm-hmm. and then trying to put in perspective um, from the little that I do know on the maps of quote unquote America, you know, and trying to place myself um, as you're sharing about these treaties and about the land, like where, you know, trying to put me as like a little bird in the sky and trying to see like where everything is, um, is interesting. And I'm actually like excited to see um, as Native Stories collects more stories from other folks on like how these, how these stories like intersect. I mean, cause they all intersect. So Mahalo for everyone listening and stay tuned for the next episode of native stories for our treaty series. If you've enjoyed this episode of native stories, please consider leaving a review on any podcast application that you're listening on reviews helps us to get new listeners grows the show and helps us to keep putting out new content that you enjoy you can follow us on facebook just search native stories or on instagram search our o-u-r native stories and we will put jimmy's info in the show notes of this episode and online mahalo nui for tuning in and a hui ho